0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an
0: extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription.
1: That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88.
0: Subscribe to TE1 and get NFL Sundayticket.tv, an unmatched dual threat.
1: Welcome to episode 210 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and today's sponsors, DealDash and DirecTV NFL Sunday Ticket. I'm Dan Hilton and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, it might surprise some of our listeners, but you and I have never met in person. So I have to say, we're going to have to do our best to virtually hug this one out, right?
2: Hola, la Um Yeah, we, we could do that. I mean, um, I found myself in need of lots of hugs today. Um, luckily, I've got two little girls, and obviously my wife, but the two little girls are like, "Papa, why are you sad? Why are you why are you so sad? Why Barça lost?" So it made things um, a little bit better. I'm just very jodido in Spanish. I won't translate that into English. Um, so, I'm so loads of our speaking Spanish-speaking people understand what I just said. And uh, the match was just—it was hard to watch. Um, We'll get into detail in a minute, but it was hard to watch and, uh, you know, I certainly haven't really eaten as usual today. I've been hugely disappointed about what we saw. We're going to break down the reasons why we are in the situation that we are. But, you know, whenever and this is the worst defeat in history, Um, it's a historical moment and certainly not a positive one. So there's two ways to react, really. You can bury a hole, you can say, I'm never watching Barca again. And, you know, you can delete your subscription to the different football channels, um, etc., which several people have done, and I understand why. But the other way to do this is to come out, um, to analyze, to think, to debate, having some sort of shared therapy that help us all together overcome the disappointing humiliation together. And I think that's that's the purpose of today's podcast, just to look at what's happened, and to look what where we go from now, basically.
1: Yeah, just in terms of even considering so many of our listeners are on social media, that I think, and you see this all across sports, people who've been dominated by Barcelona over the last 10 years certainly have a lot to say. And so those that we can rely on are the Barcelona community within itself. And so I think, you know, as silly and therapeutic as it might be to be frustrated and, and angry, the best thing we can actually do is support one another. Because again, Liverpool fans are so excited that they broke Barcelona even you hear from Roma fans you hear from Real Madrid fans you hear from Bayern Munich fans you're just hearing from all these other different fans from the outside just excited to finally have Barcelona bleed to finally have them be be human now and they enjoy watching Barca get what they believe is a comeuppance but yeah I, I think that as far as Just despondent, sad, and trying to figure out what it is that has gone wrong. So today on the show, that's obviously what we're going to be talking about. And we're almost breaking this up into different segments. Obviously, it wasn't just one thing that led to yesterday, but we are going to break down some of the things on the field that happened yesterday. Then we'll talk the whole manager situation with Kike Setián. almost, by the time you're hearing this, firmly in the rearview mirror. And then we're going to discuss some board and some one-off things at the end. But you said stats, you said historic Frances, so obviously you catch my ear, and I'm going to read you some stats here. These all courtesy of Opta. When I looked at these stats after the match and even before the match, it tells you that your feelings almost validated because of how incredibly negative some of these stats are. So the average age of Barcelona starting 11 yesterday, 29 years and 329 days, making it the oldest lineup they have ever named for a Champions League match against a team that presses. I added that part at the end. Bayern Munich, the first team to score eight goals in a Champions League knockout match. Barcelona conceded at least five goals in a European match for the first time since losing 5-4 to Levski Sofia in March of 1976 in the UEFA Cup. Barcelona had conceded seven goals in a match for the first time since losing 7-4 to Valencia in October of 1949. Barcelona lost a match by six goals for the first time since April 1951 when they were beaten 6-0 by Espanyol in the Liga. Bayern's combined starting 11 last night cost less than what Barcelona paid for Griezmann who didn't start the game. Again, those all courtesy of Opta. And that tells you the low point to which Barca is at the moment. And Frances, for some of our younger listeners, I think it's important in context as well. We've mentioned 1994 before and losing 4-0 to Milan. And when you look at that moment, while it took two more years for Johan Cruyff to no longer be manager of the club, that was the changing of an era. That is when it looked like what it should have been, Roma, or what it should have been, Liverpool. Do you get that there's a different sense here? I, I know they were almost numb to the pain of losing in the Champions League for the last few seasons, but does this one feel different?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. This is, this is the worst defeat in Barca history. Um, I have been soul-searching all day, <laughs> unfortunately, as I'm sure lots of our listeners have done the same, and this is worse than 1994. I mean, if you think about it, 1994, defeat in the Champions League final against Milan, 4-0, uh, Barca were favourites to win, but they were already in the final, see? And the week before, or two weeks before, I think it was the week before, we had just sealed La Liga in style. I think we beat, um, I think it was Deportivo to to the title that that year, or maybe it was Madrid, I'm not sure. But it was one of the two, because we won four consecutive ligas with uh, with Cruyff. And the players basically went nuts. They thought it was all done, and then they went to the final. And, you know, it was a slip-up. It, it, it is... Highly regarded as the, you know, the, the hurdle that made Johan Cruyff and the Dream Team fall. But to be honest, they, there was some light left in that team uh, in the next year and, and the one following after. But the entorno just had turned really, really ugly. I mean, I want to go even even further back, and you know, I was only five or six years old at the time. But when Barca lost the European final against Basilea in Sevilla, they lost um, because of penalties. That was also a turning point, and uh, I think that. In comparison to what happened yesterday, those two were Mickey Mouse games. Um, what happened yesterday is unforgivable, is unacceptable. It is the end of the most successful by a long mile generation of players that we have seen in Barca history. I mean, what Johan Cruyff was building was super special, and um, don't want to take anything of that. But well, Guardiola, for obviously following on Cruyff's steps, um, built together with you know Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol, obviously Messi and all the other fantastic players we've had um, over the years, I think yesterday is the the final nail in the coffin. I mean, we've been embarrassing ourselves, especially at European level, for four consecutive seasons. PSG, four, Barca nil. Roma, three, Barca nil. Liverpool, four, Barca nil. Bayern Munich, eight, Barca, two. Uh, I mean, there's no need to continue anymore. I mean, it's gotten progressively worse. And, you know... We started the podcast three years ago. Um, <laughs> I wish we had started the podcast before, to be honest now. Yeah. But um, I, I was writing for Barca blog on ESPN at the time, obviously. And um, it's just got worse and worse and worse. And we've been saying it all along. I mean, they just put in patches into what Barca in, shouldn't be. You know, They just basically trusted a lot of mediocre players playing way above their market value for players that basically generate no impact. They've neglected La Masia. And then, because Messi is such a fantastic player, has been, and I would say he still is, but obviously Messi 10 years ago was more effective than Messi today, arguably. And uh, they're just patching it up with Messi's brilliance. And, and, you know, the cracks have shown. The cracks are obvious. Um, Today, we are the laughing stock of European football. Um, I think we are officially now in the second division of European football. I mean, a team that cannot really progress into any finals in the last five years, despite having Messi and, you know, the most expensive squad in world football is an absolute failure. It's an absolute shambles. Um, Before the game, we were actually, you know, I never really read any comments, but our YouTube video last week when the podcast and the different clips that you put on on the YouTube channel, I, I read some of the comments and people were saying, oh, you're being too negative. You're asking for bad weather, like we say in Spanish. And uh, it's like, no, mate, we've been watching every second of Barca all season. We know what this team can, and we definitely know what this team cannot do. And we're just reflecting what reality is. To be honest, we were actually quite optimistic last week, considering you know, what, what was coming. But it's just not going anywhere at this moment in time. And, you know, if the A2 defeat, which obviously is the worst defeat in Barca history um, in the last 80, 90 years, and before that, you know, let's, let's be honest... Um, Is too far away to even look back. It has, to, it has to generate change. It has to generate self-awareness, self-critique. I mean, Piquet spoke more than the, as the president of Barca than the president of Barca even did. And I'm sure we're going to cover that coming up soon. But no, right now it's, it's, it's doom and gloom. I mean, it, it has to be. We can't really be saying anything else other than that today and be honest with ourselves
1: yeah and i think what underlines all of this is that when there is this kind of moment for clubs you do see a lot of radical change but going back to silson and the Neto and that swap that barca financially was in trouble already prior to a global pandemic and that is certainly going to limit the ability for great change and again we're going to get into all of that and what barca could possibly do here and the other big reminder and i think this is the only it's not even a silver lining it's just the fact that the next Liga season starts Saturday, September 12th. So we, we woke up yesterday and it's not even that I was optimistic about the match because that's what you said. I mean, I had a tactical preview and last week's episode of the podcast, we spoke all about it, that Bayern were going to play a way that Barcelona don't play well against, but Bayern do it better than any other team in the world. And Bayern have been the best team in the world since football return since they put Hansi Flick in charge they were flying high and Barca were ready and ripe and we knew that Barca were going to be defeated you and I even off air had kind of mentioned that they don't have much of a chance Messi always does does give a bit of hope and I think they came out and they had a, a few good moments right at the start but then Bayern Munich took over and it just became all about mentality more even it was tactics or physically what was happening on the field and you could feel by the well, by the 22nd minute, it was the end of an era. And it was over by the 22nd minute that match was. And so to think about what's coming next, again, we started that morning by watching Pedri and Trincao go through basically their first training session, it's still in Barcelona, separate from the team. And you know that this season, the preseason, basically starting now, that the offseason already happened. And this is just the end of a miserable campaign, but this huge reckoning that's needed for this club can't possibly happen when you're staring down the barrel of another season now less than a full month away. So we're gonna hit the ad break now, and then we're gonna start with Laronda and get to those listener questions. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday Ticket TV. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0. It only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer where the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up, on top of their other discounts. Go to dealdash.com and use the promo code TBPOD or deal-dash.fm backslash T-B-P-O-D. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H.fm backslash T-B-P-O-D. Support for the Barcelona podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. The last time I did this Manscaped ad, I did get some good feedback. People did like to hear as uncomfortable as it might sound for me to just be talking to myself about Manscaped. I do have to say that there was the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. That is a product that I do recommend. And that is the one that fortunately you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TBPOD at manscaped.com. And as I said last time, it has been a hot summer. It has been a humid summer. And when you have the tool such as the lawnmower 3.0, it can make things a little easier. So as I said, people enjoyed to hear me being uncomfortable last time I read the Manscaped ad, so I hope I was able to deliver again. But as I said, you can have the lawnmower 3.0 delivered. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TBPOD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code TBPOD. All right, Francesca, out of this break, we've got some questions about playing style. And I mean, I guess we can lean a little bit on me for the tactical breakdown. But as much as what I said, and even in the tactical breakdown, the first like three goals of that match yesterday had to do with tactics. But after that, it was all about Barca having given up and Bayern just mentally willing themselves to put the ball in the back of the net. So we have a lot of different questions here. Rick, does Messi and Suarez deserve blame for not defending or pressing more, leaving the midfield completely vulnerable to the high pressing of Bayern. Daniel asked, was Valverde's pragmatism born out of necessity? Looking at how now both Seti and Ann Valverde have chosen to try to contain the opponent instead of attack an opponent. Leonardo asked, have Barca become a victim of its own football style? And Enrique, about speaking about the constantly playing it back to Ter Stegen and then uh, attempting to hoof it long. And where I'll start there, Princess, is with the Enrique answer about the Ter Stegen. We could tell that that clearly in that match was not going to work, that Bayern, their weakness, clearly in that match as well, was through the flanks. And that's why Barca, particularly on the own goal, it went out to Jordi Alba on that right wing where Kimmich, who was even expected to play more at home than Davies was, got a little bit too far forward and Alba got in behind then it leads to the own goal because Alaba messed up his positioning. And we knew that the flanks, as much as the flanks is an issue for Barcelona, it's actually the only weakness that Bayern really had. And I think Barca prepared for that clearly. One of the things they tried to do, it seemed like to me, kind of understanding that Bayern wanted to win the ball on the flanks and then immediately jam it down their throat through overlapping runs through Davies or Kimmich. And so Ter Stegen would clear the ball straight up the field. And Bayern Munich just won the ball every time. And I think one of those reasons, because it all works together, one of those reasons that Ter Stegen's passing was not in any way up to snuff. His passing, it, I, yes, obviously everything is amplified by the stage, but I mean, it might have been the worst passing game Ter Stegen has had for Barcelona because every time he'd hoof it, hoof it long into the middle of the field, Bayern would win that 50-50 ball. And the other part of that is that Luis Suarez, he just doesn't have it to create the havoc, to create the, the hold-up play. It's just not there. And I we watched over the last year and a half, the decline of Suarez's hold-up play. And this is that whole point about pragmatism, that Barcelona don't have the choice. They don't have the option not to be pragmatic with their approach because they just don't have the physical tools. They don't have the personnel. When you have Luis Suarez, and this is what Bayern were able to capitalize, because they knew that he wasn't going to beat them with a run in behind, the game plan and the tactics for for Bayern all season long have been to have Lewandowski do a light pressure on the center backs and the goalkeeper and force it out to the full backs. And then when it gets to the full backs, that's the activation for, for Bayern to really press hard and try to win the ball off, would have been Alba and Semedo who were pinched back. So because Suarez could not manage to get the ball or hold the ball up, and they couldn't get it to him in behind, Bayern's back line were able to not only bring a high line, but they were also able to bring that whole line of confrontation higher up the field and almost be compact in the pressure that they were delivering. Because again, Suarez was not a threat for a long ball in behind just by the nature of his speed. And that meant that not only were Barcelona getting pinched deeper and deeper and deeper, but then they started making passing mistakes and passing errors, whether it was Ter Stegen trying to hoof it long, sure, but it was also mistakes in the midfield. There were, in a tactical breakdown, I had mentioned Sergio Roberto, not only did he have that giveaway that led to a goal, but he also tried to switch off Alfonso Davies while Davies was making an overlapping run to Semedo, leaving Semedo completely out of position. And that's what led to the the Paris' goal, I believe, later on. And all those different things combine to be a mess for Barcelona, tactically sure, because, again, as I said, they didn't have the personnel. But you asked, what did Kike Setian do wrong? Well, he got beat tactically. But as you and I have talked about, that was always going to happen because Bayern just do it better than Barcelona do. But my issue yesterday, Frances, was the individual mistakes as well. We had said that the only chance Barca had against Bayern, who as a unit were just tactically superior, was if they made individual mistakes, which we saw in the first two goals is what happened. And with Alaba, his position completely wrong on the own goal, and that was great to see... But then Barcelona, they started to make individual mistakes. I mentioned Sergio Roberto. We've talked about Ter Stegen's passing. Suarez, I mean, that's, again, personnel more than it is even necessarily individual mistakes. He didn't really make individual mistakes because he didn't affect the match except for his one goal. But then we look about Langley. I mean, as good as he's been, you got to throw him under the bus in the fact that on that Thomas Muller's second goal, he just gets beat, that being Langley, straight to the near post. And that is completely inexcusable for a center back and on the goal for Kimmich. Now, Alfonso Davies undressing Nelson Semedo, that's what made the headline, and that's what all the trolling is about. But Frankie DeYoung completely neglected to pick up Joshua Kimmich on his run into the box. He was the eventual goal scorer. And PK Adelaide stuck ball-watching, not only on that goal, but on a number of goals. And those are individual mistakes. So if you're going to critique Kike Setien for this game, I wouldn't say it's about tactics, because personnel-wise, that was always a losing battle. But he was unable to get his team mentally right for this match. And he didn't really know these players well. It's been six months. That's not a defense of, of Kike Setien. But this match was completely lost. It was, match, it was lost by the manager from the start. And then it was lost from the players all the way through. And again, as a center back, you can just speak to it. Defensively, there were so many things that were completely inexcusable yesterday from the players.
2: There were, there were. And after three minutes, you clearly knew that the game was lost. Um, Barca, as you mentioned as well, Barca are a very, very weak team from a physical and definitely from a mental perspective. And you could sense it in the way they, they jumped on the pitch. You could sense it in the way they were moving around. You can sense it in the way that Bayern was just 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 like aeroplanes it was like uh, men playing against little kids in the playground it was it was humiliating and there were so many aspects I mean you mentioned I'm not going to go over it again but you mentioned a lot of individual players but I don't think there's a single player yesterday that you can say was remotely a shadow of their own selves Um, not because they didn't want to I think that overall the players really honestly hand in heart I think they try their best you know and even Luis Suarez I know that he's got a lot of criticism but I really think he tried his best. I, I saw him running. I saw him pressing. And then when he wasn't pressing, I don't think it's because he didn't want to. I think it's because he couldn't. And, and that that is the key. I mean, you need to point your finger f- further up. And it all comes from, from Abidal's um, job or lack of job, lack of um, effect and, and, you know, any positive impact um, in his role as sporting director and obviously at Meo for, for allowing him to do so. Um, from about the game itself... I don't want to go on it too much. I mean, the 4-1 result after 45 minutes was was terrible. But I think getting another 4-1 in the second half is... It's just humiliating. And you've got the players pretty much, even the Bayern players, they were pretty much switched off considering how well they played in the first. And they still managed to put another four past Ter Stegen. And Bayern seemed to be playing a different game completely. You know, they were much more speedy. They were better in front of goal. They were more intense, more physical. They were pressing the ball as if their lives depending on it because they did. And the speed at which they recovered the ball was incredible. Barca did not really. Um, get any consecutive passing sequence at any point throughout the whole game. The superiority from the Germans was abysmal. Um, and to be honest, it, it doesn't even enable me to, to look at individual players. It, it, Barca would have played at every single area that you can consider. It was a collective fiasco, a collective uh, disappointment. Um, in modern football, every player has to run. Every player has to defend. Um, obviously because of um, Messi's career, we know that if he defends, he's not as effective moving forward. But the thing is, you've got Messi in your team who, let's face it, walks around whenever your opponent has the ball 90% of the time. Um, So he's sharp moving forward. I'm not, you know, not trashing Messi's game here, but obviously you need to, you need to make allowances for for the way that he plays so he can be effective moving forward. You cannot have any other player that does that. And you've had, at times, you had Suarez doing it. Griezmann didn't press a single ball from the whole of the second half, and this is our second most expensive signing in history. <laughs> to be honest, our first most expensive signing in history actually scored twice yesterday and gave an assist in 15 minutes, and was for Bayern Munich, not us, which you know we discussed um, in passing last week, and my worst prediction actually happened. He's the one that put the final nail in the coffin, as if the coffin wasn't deep enough on the ground. Um, we couldn't pressure Bayern when they were building... The team was a shambles, no cohesion, no effective movement going forward. It's just overall unacceptable that football has moved on and Barca haven't. I mean, Leipzig and Bayern Munich play in similar ways, but obviously Bayern Munich much more superior in in that respect. But they play football that Barca just aren't ready to play at this moment in time. And football does not respect CVs. Uh, the ball doesn't look at, you know, how many trophies are in your cabinet. Uh, Father Time forgets all of that and actually moves forward and does not forgive. Um, it just cannot happen again. It cannot happen ever again. And uh, those in charge should stop being selfish, basically, and look at their own interests and put the interests of the club, which is way bigger than you and me, everyone listening and any other players and obviously individuals working for the club. The club will still be there when none of us are here. And the, the, the reputation the philosophy, the, the well-being of the club in itself has to be more important than individuals making selfish decisions for selfish interests.
1: And, and we talk about, again, big picture stuff here about what can possibly change in four weeks' time. And I think the one and only thing that we know will definitely be changing because as far as doing business in four weeks, there's a lot of players and I think a lot of the big conversations have been, who would you buy? Who would you sell? And you and I, whether it's our midweek show or whether it's sometime next week, we might throw the names out there and go through the whole squad. We're not going to do that today because the one thing that's pressing, we know that Kike Setian and the reports were that he was going to be out before this match even began. So regardless of what he did in this match, I I mean, maybe he could have saved his job by beating Bayern Munich, but we knew that any kind of loss for Kike Setien was going to be his end. And it's interesting that Richard had asked, Setien was appointed purely because he paid lip service to Johan Cruyff. And given how badly that's turned out, what actual criteria does any candidate for the managing job have to meet? And I, I think it would be easy for us to just joke and say it's anybody who's available, because at the moment, in the short amount of time that you have to bring in somebody, and obviously they're not going to have time to bring in their ideas or have a full, well, yeah, I guess they'll have a full preseason, but I don't know how much that's going to do in a shortened preseason into a, in a, with a squad that's still emotionally going to be reeling for something that the new manager wasn't a part of, which is just an, an odd place to be for any manager. And we got questions. I'm actually just going to read the names out. This is all about uh, new questions and some variation of who should be the manager. William, Gandhi, Walter, Edwin, Navadai, Severin, Damjan, Leonardo and Ted, and I do apologize for any pronunciations there. Let me know uh, in your question on our listener page exactly how to pronounce your name if I got any of those wrong. But for, as far as replacing the manager goes, uh, the name Pochettino obviously is the one that's come up in the last 24 hours, sure. But for Barcelona, this is no trophy for the first time since 2007-08. And it's not just Kike Setien, this is the Valverde, and era together one season long. And because the plan is already to replace the manager, I guess I'll give you the names, Frances, and then we just hypothesize from there. Pochettino, the main one, we'll hear Komen again. I, I, I've seen Xavi Aguirre be suggested, the former Mexico manager who left Leganes when they were relegated. So that tells you where Barcelona are, that the manager that's being suggested is the manager that was released because he was <laughs> led aside to relegation. Uh, and then obviously Xavi... But then we also have Pimienta, Petr Kloivert, and then the dream jobs of Julian Nagelsmann, the RB Leipzig manager, uh, Marcelo Gallardo, whose name is popping up again just because he exists, and it's Real, and it's River Plate. And then you have Lauren Blanc, who we heard, you and I, you know, we mentioned how happy we'd be about that a few weeks ago. And then Allegri, who is only ever managed in Serie A. Francis, for all the names I just mentioned, I don't think any of them get me in any way excited.
2: No, no. And I think that that's the reaction that most of our listeners will have. Um, I think that it's hard to get excited about something that a manager cannot change. Um, to be honest, you could put Guardiola uh, pairing up with Chavi and Croy holding hands. You know, it's not going to change anything. I think that the problem is, is, is the board. The problem is the decisions the board is making. And obviously, in by extension, the players that these people have. I mean, there is a survey in sport today that obviously by the time that this podcast goes out or or you listen to it, if you don't listen to it on the first day, then it is likely that the the numbers vary a little bit. But it says, who is the main culprit of the crisis at Barca? And they're saying Bartomeu on the board, 76%. The players, 19%. The Abidal, basically, the, the secretary, the sporting secretary, 3%. And the managers, 1%. And I agree with that. Yep. You know, I probably would, would put the board even higher than that, to be honest. But um, it doesn't matter who manages this team. It doesn't matter at all. Um, unless changes happen, it really doesn't matter. You could have the best manager in the world, they wouldn't change a thing. I mean, there's far too many veteran players who are spoiled. They're just looking at their CV. They're not prepared to train hard as they're young. And do check this out. Um, the young very clearly said said that we need to work harder in training. Basically, he didn't say training, but we need to work harder to reach the required levels. And obviously, reading between the lines, that's what he means. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do on a on a normal basis that need to change. That's what the young said himself, and he's basically the last one. To come and actually, you know, establish himself in the starting eleven, which, by the way, is what Ter Stegen was saying all of those months ago, probably seven or eight months ago now. And uh, you know how funny it is that the young Ter Stegen are the ones that actually see it, and no one else seems to seems to seems to do that until obviously yesterday. Uh, Piqué said what he said, which I'm sure we'll discuss later. Um, changing a manager, is not going to do anything. it's not. He's just going to dress up. And uh, he's just going to put tiritas, you know, a little band-aid on moving things on and not actually changing what what the root of the problem is. I mean, the root of the problem. And, you know, you could say, oh, Semedo has to go. Or you could say, oh, Sergi Roberto this. Or you could say Rakitic that. But that's not the problem. The problem is the key five players in the squad, the ones that, you know, and I I don't want to be ungrateful. I, I probably am sounding ungrateful today. And, you know, time will put things into perspective. They've been great, great, great for Barca. But, you know, out of these five, I think at least three have to go. Luis Suarez, still without a replacement. Sergio Busquets has to go. Jordi Alba has to go. Pique arguably has to go, or at least he shouldn't be starting every single game because, you know, against high-caliber opposition, he's just too weak. And to be honest, Messi. Messi, at the level that he is, surrounded by the people that he is, um, you need to wonder whether he, he would be better off just leaving. Um, I think that if you, if you clean up around Messi, Messi still, could still be the baluarte next season, could still be the, the, the sort of shining beacon of the team next season. But if Luis Suarez is around, that, that diminishes his, you know, his persona because they're so, they're so close on a professional profession and definitely on a personal basis that you know, Luis Suarez plays because he's Messi's friend half the time. You know, and, and I don't believe that Luis Suarez is that much better than Griezmann for a starting position as a striker or that much better than even Braithwaite or that much better than even Ansu Fati. I don't see I don't see why Luis Suarez is playing 90 minutes or 85 minutes every match apart from the fact that he's Messi's friend and they don't want to annoy Messi. So Busquets cannot start every match anymore. I think the young has progressed enough this season, but for the young to shine and be the player he needs to be, he has to play in Busquets' spot. And Busquets can be... You know, a little bit like Chavi in his last six, seven months, or even Iniesta a little bit, to a lesser degree Iniesta, by the way, because he left earlier before he saw what he could become. He was clever enough to go. But um, what Chavi was doing at the end was just nurturing and teaching the others. I think Busquets could do that. But as a starting eleven fixture, regular fixture, same with Piquet, it's just not happening. I think Jordi Alba needs to go. I think that he's far too moany. He's, he's he, he just... He just doesn't add what we need from him. And the thing is, it's not what they offer on the pitch, it's what they generate around them. I mean, Valverde, in one of the questions earlier I was saying, Valverde played the way he did because, you know he thought, well, these are the tools that I have. I don't really want to upset the status quo or the you know the the veteran players and the vacas sagradas, the sacred cows that we call in in Catalonia, within the dressing room. And I have to play these five guys all the time, you know, and those play, and then, you know, they're close to Rakitic and they're close to Vidal. So you end up playing the oldest, most expensive squad in football history, in Champions League history, um, against a team that was obvious were going to fly all over us. Um, So I don't think a manager fixes that, you know. Beyond that, you've got Dembele, Griezmann, Coutinho, which are hugely expensive sign-ins and they haven't performed anywhere close to expectation. But then again, you need to think, okay, if you put Dembele, Griezmann and Coutinho in a team with nobody else, where they are the stars or they um, they don't have to tiptoe around Messi and, and his veteran friends, then do they perform better than they did? I think they do. And I think that beyond that, you got so many average players that were signed for well above the market value, like your Andre Gomes, your, your Vidals even. There's so many of them that... And La Masia not, not really getting a glimpse. I mean, Ricky Puig hasn't played in the Champions League after being arguably our best player behind probably Messi and Tej in the whole of La Liga after lockdown. And he doesn't play at all. I mean, yeah,
1: and then on top of that, what is still like in the back of my mind, I know that Barca B is not the be-all and end-all, but he didn't play in that final after having played most of the year with Barca B, so it's not like it was Mm -hmm. a new player being added to the wrinkle, he and Fati were not allowed to play with Barca B so that they could play in the Champions League. And then he winds up not playing in the Champions League. I mean, that is... uh, Negligent is the best word I think I could possibly use. There's a word... I want to pick a word that's meaner, but it just... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't... It's just... That's a mismanagement. Once again, completely inexcusable from... They said it was Setian who made that decision, but whether that was Setian, Ab- Abidal, or maybe Cloyvert even had a word in that, whoever it may be, that ultimately the group of minds that came to that decision is completely inexcusable.
2: You think that if Ansu Fati and Ricky Puch play against Sabadell, they beat us the way they did? I don't think so at all. You're, you're 100 oh, million one Oh, yeah, Barca percent, B. Right. Barca
1: B wins that match with those two 150 percent. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Obviously, Collado got injured, etc. But you know, with those two, we've got a much better chance. I mean, Sabadell a Catalan club, actually very close to my hometown. I'm happy that they got promoted, but obviously not about Barça. B, but now it's just it's just nonsensical. I mean, talking to Setien, which is what, the question that I'm trying to answer for the last ten minutes. <laughs> um Setien yeah, appointing him was a mistake. I think that he saw the lie. He saw the lie very, very well, and and. Me included, we all voted. Um, I think that Valverde would have been a better coach uh, for the whole of the season. But having said that, I think Valverde w- was the wrong coach to start the season anyway. Barca, as I've been saying the last ten minutes, have got deeper problems. Um, Setien didn't do what he promised to do, which was imp- you know bringing something new. I-, I was hoping that he would, you know, bring on youth he would um, you know give Griezmann more playing time in his preferred position I didn't think he was going to bend over backwards for the veteran um, Baca Sagradas but he has done that Um, he's literally avoided fixing the mess that he found and that is precisely what he was brought in to do and instead he's bowed down to the players he's become a yes man for the players just trying to survive um, just not doing anything using the old tools in the old way and uh, it has been clear for four years that that does not work especially at the At the highest level, like as Piquet said himself, like, you know, with Messi and Ter Stegen and some good enough-ish players around them, that's not even enough to win La Liga anymore. You know, and I think that it puts into perspective the fact that we won eight out of 11 ligas. um, History is going to say that that was extraordinary, and it clearly was. But just talking about the present, that's not, that doesn't work anymore. Um, and, And the thing is, Valverde never promised that he was going to be anything that he wasn't. But Berti didn't come here trying to say that you know he's got posters of Cruyff um, and when he goes to sleep he wakes up and there's uh, the Holy Grail with Pele Guardiola. He didn't say that, you know. But 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 the thing is, Setien did, and he, he's betrayed himself. And and to be honest, that's that out of everything, that's the most puzzling thing. He didn't stick to his footballing ideals. He was utterly useless in terms of leadership and personality. And so was Eda Saravia. Um, relationship building was. Was just non-existent. You could see it in the cooling breaks in every single match post-lockdown that we've seen. Um, and uh, you know, he could. I mean, in my eyes, he should have chosen to die with his ideals, and rather than continue a journey of failure, just trusting everything too messy. I mean, if if Setien was going to be sacked at the end of the season anyway, which you know, arguably was always going to happen, especially because of his inability to to build any positive relationships, then at least he should have done what he was meant to do. He should have, you know, taken, you know, Vidal, Rakitic, Busquets, um, Pique, obviously because of injuries, he couldn't, but um, Jordi Alba and, and players like that, obviously, I'm forgetting the most important, Luis Suarez, and, but, you know, just upset the state quo school a little bit, you know, just do a little bit of, um, of, of the job you were asked to do, which is rejuvenate this, this squad.
1: That was what was puzzling, I think, to me about the Bayern match, that when you'd, we'd, we'd been very uh, uncomplimentary of him with his substitutes before, but in that Bayern match, why did not he not make any changes? I mean, the only change was to put Antoine Griezmann on and go with this 4-3-3. And then later on in the match, when they basically made a makeshift midfield of Vidal and de Jong as double pivots with Messi as an attacking midfielder once Fati came on. That's not going to work against Bayern Munich. I mean, what a terrible idea to have Griezmann, Suarez and Fati in front of Messi, in front of just Vidal and de Jong when you're already leaking goals. I mean, that's why the last three goals were scored, because he completely stripped the midfield of anything. And as far as what he was trying to do to, to solve a problem, there certainly was nothing. And even by, at the very end, he knows at four one that he is, he's getting fired. I think it's even more damning for him to have not tried something when he already knew that his time was over. Why don't you just throw anything at the wall? And as you're talking about Setian, I'm thinking, Frances, that I don't even, not to make it not about Setien, but, and I can't believe I'm going to sound like I'm defending Tata Martino here, but we haven't seen a manager like this who we've said was completely insufficient for the Barca job since Martino or Tata. And it's interesting to me because I saw him, yes, it's a much, much smaller bar in Atlanta United for MLS where Tata Martino won uh, an MLS cup. But the ideas, the ideas is I think the important point here that Tata Martino had said, and he's doing the same thing with Mexico now. When he was, working for Argentina, he came to Barcelona and said, these are my ideas, these are what I'm going to try. And then when he coached Barcelona, there was no reflection of the things that he said that he was gonna do in that press conference, and that's why he was such a disappointment. Now we're seeing at Las Palmas, at Real Betis, Kike Setien had these ideas. And he said, this is the manager that I am. I'm gonna bring those ideas to Barcelona. And then he shows up at Barcelona and what happens on the field isn't reflected there. My worry is even greater than Kike Setien, because when we answered All of those coaches or managers who take over at Barcelona, even Pochettino, who managed uh, Tottenham. And before that, we're talking, obviously, about Espanyol, which is not a big job. My fear is that since Pep Guardiola, the Barcelona manager job has just gotten too big, that there's no possible person. I mean, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp. I mean, those are the two best managers that we discuss in world football still today. That job is just too big for any person, any individual particularly as you keep mentioning, if they cannot wrangle in that dressing room. And so it is a chicken or the egg. It doesn't matter who takes over. I mean, I guess it's going to be Coleman or Pochettino. So the board is going to try to bring in the current board. And that's who we're talking about next in just about a second. This is basically the segue that whoever that board brings in to try to figure out how to start this, get this squad started and get them prepared for La Liga in four weeks That has to be basically the biggest personality they could possibly bring in to try to wrangle in some of these big names that they're not going to be able to move. Because I think this is the really Debbie Downer part of this is that with just four weeks to make movement, if you couldn't get Rakitic last summer over the course of three months to leave your club, I was even saying this to my wife, if Messi decided to just up and leave, this is like really sad. These are the things that nightmares are made of. That if Messi just decided to up and leave in the next three weeks, and then Rakitic and Vidal and everybody else the guys that could have potentially been sold, and we're even talking about Felipe Coutinho here, the ones that could have potentially got you some kind of fee and get their wages off the books, if they just refuse to leave and Messi is the only one who says, I want out now, and Barca are forced to just take, you know, obviously that's going to be a huge influx of cash. Sure, for Messi, but if he's the only one to leave and you're left with everybody else because they decided that they want to pull a Gareth Bale and just sit on the bench, I mean, not only that's worst case scenario, it doesn't even seem possible because it seems like a nightmare. But I think in the next three weeks, as terrible as it is, I just keep seeing that everybody on the threads and everybody keeps saying, oh, these are the players that we're going to sell. And there's, and there's eight to 12 names. And we're even talking about the captains. There is what a 4% chance or 2% chance that Sergio Roberto leaves this club this summer. Because we're not, not talking me. summer. We're talking, even though the window will be open longer, we're talking really four weeks before preseason starts. And so whatever manager is brought in, he's going to have the skeleton of the cr- of the group that you have this year. And so the bigger question we're getting is, what is the path forward for this club? We're not talking the next four weeks. We're talking forward. And so the transition into the board is that you and I and everybody agrees. And the board even understands. They're not going to be in their jobs past What could have been June, now it's being rumored that that's gonna be moved ahead to March. And Frances, as crazy as this might sound, I'm not too upset that it's going to be March instead of June. Because even if the board said we're out now, how could someone possibly step in with no money and three weeks to get things together with older players, Who are just going to refuse regardless of who the board is they're going to refuse to leave if they want to if they just want to take their wages and get their paychecks and now you have a bunch of expensive players sitting on the sitting in the stands if a manager has the autonomy to be brave enough to put them in the stands they're they're just sitting and catching a check and barca have no money and they're completely rudderless and next season winds up being somehow even worse And so I I think the best case forward and the best move forward is indeed that, to put enough pressure on the board, to have them have March elections instead of June, and then give somebody basically March until August of 2021 to get comfortable in that role and enact their sporting plan. Because Setien and probably Abidal and probably Roman Planes, they're the ones who are gonna fall on the sword right now. The technical director obviously is gonna be an issue. And then Kike Setien, they're all gonna fall on the sword right now. But how in three weeks could you possibly expect an entire overhaul of a club and then think that the dust is going to settle in three weeks and there will be anything resembling a squad ready and prepared for September 12th?
2: And doing all of that in the middle of the, you know, most devastating pandemic in the history of exactly. humanity, possibly. When you have, when you have um, nothing so to spend. Yeah, when you have nothing to spend. Nothing, nothing at all. So, um, no, no, there's no easy answer. Um, I think that Bartumeo, if the rumors are in fact, true. I've heard this from Catalan Radio as well. Uh, many, many of the periodistas, the pundits, the, 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 the journalists that were talking last night in after, you know, <laughs> the after show match, actually, in Catalan Radio, just a side note. Normally, it's like an hour. It was two and a half hours last night because um, they immediately realized that this was, this was a historic moment. And uh, they were all saying that it's likely, very, very likely that the elections would be in March. But, you know, my, my thought with that is that it doesn't quite, it's not early enough. Much I don't think it's early enough um, it, because next season is going to be wasted because if, if Bartomeu cannot make any changes, he, yeah, of course he will sack Setién and he will bring someone else for a year because, you know, the moment that the election happens, then there's going to be another president coming. The, other, the next president coming is going to try and break everything that was there before. So whoever comes for the job is going to come for a year and that's not long enough. Um, so I don't really think, and I know all the all the points that you made, but I don't really think that having elections in March helps. I think that if he's, if next season is going to be wasted, then we may as well start building earlier. I think Barca have to go into, you know, what the Americans know very well, which is rebuilding mode. I mean, the Philadelphia 76ers, um, the Lakers, arguably the last five, six years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think Barca need to be looking to be great in three years' time again.
1: Yeah, but, um, the different, the, but the difference there is that there's, like, these lottery systems and, I mean, there. are Of course. But, but but I'm saying is, like, is bottoming out? I mean, what would happen? What is the reaction? What is it? And, and we're not even talking about COVID. I mean, also, the financial ramifications as far as merchandise, as far as fan engagement, what would be the ramifications if Barca even finished fourth? Barca has to finish first or second in the Liga or else... There is major ramifications just across. I, I mean, I mean, would you think a rebuilding era would send Barca into being a second-rate club? Will Will they able to financially recover from that?
2: Yeah, yeah, because we've done it before. Twenty years ago, that that happened. You know, when you have before even Rivaldo came to the club, uh, that that was it. That was it when Van Gaal was coaching, um, following Johan Cruyff. That happened before during the whole of the seventies and eighties. We were nowhere. Um, Real Madrid were winning titles for fun and you know we weren't even challenging for the title it was in fact Real Sociedad that was winning a couple of ligas at that time so yeah we will we are Barca we will come back I mean the strength of the of the club goes beyond any of the individuals that um, are leading it now and you know the individuals that have had led it before and the individuals that will lead in the future Barca, Barca will come back and you know if we have to go three years um, then we go three years I mean three years is not a long time you, you may end up you know to be to be honest, if we won a Champions League in the next three years, I would be amazed um, at the speed of recovery. So I think that Barca have to go into rebuild. And if we're going to do that, we may as well do it not with the most expensive squad in the world. I mean, if you even if they have to leave for free, like Vidal, Rakitic, even Jordi Alba and, and players like that, that have given... You know, it's what you said. I don't want them to be pulling a, a Gareth Bale. So you can just let them go for free. If, if Pique wants to go, he can go for free. If Busquets wants to go, he can go for free. If Luis Suarez wants to go, he can go for free. You know, or next to free, like 5 million, 10 euros, anything like that. Because the, the, the key problem with these players is not necessarily the value that they've got. And, you know, at 33 years old, after losing to eight when the whole world is watching, who's going to want to buy them? So, But that's, a, but that that's the, the most...
1: issue with who's going to want to afford them. So like Alba, his contract is a 2023. The club just can't afford to let him go because somebody's going to have to pay his wages. I mean, what, I don't know what to do with those kind of Albatross contracts.
2: Yeah, of course. And then you just have to look at who signed those contracts and, and why they've done it. Um, it's just inefficiency. And obviously, Avidal and Bartomeu will have to go, which obviously we've been saying the whole show round. I really do think that it is... It is a rebuilding situation. I really do think that we need to stop signing average players for incredibly high amounts of money. And unless it's someone who is going to really, really make an impact, uh, then don't sign any more superstars, you know? Um, I think that you need to give, arguably even Coutinho, but definitely Griezmann and Dembélé, you need to give them uh, a protagonist spot next year. Um, I think that... The players that have got the highest wage and are around 32, 33, even 31 years old uh, that you can, you know, afford to 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 place elsewhere, they just have to take a step back, and you know, you just have to. As a club, we just need to take a hit in in that respect, and I think that the way forward has to be playing the youngsters. You've got Pedri, you've got Trincao, you've got Ricky Push, you've got Ansu Fati, you've got the young. You got, and I'm going to include him in this because I don't think he's going anywhere. Sergio Roberto. Um, and I think that those are the players that need to lead the next generation. I mean, if Messi does stick around, which obviously I think we could have a whole show as to whether he should stay or go. But if he decides to stick around, then he needs to be he needs to be cleaned up around. You know, he needs to be like this leader that takes the next generation into the next into the next level. Um, and to be honest, I don't see him leaving Barca after losing two eight. So I don't think there's any danger of that now says he that doesn't have any <laughs> any inside information but you know i think that messi's legacy that does, doesn't enable him to to leave now to be honest and uh, i think that we need to rebuild i think that you know a lot of the and, and i know that a lot of the listeners have never seen barca lose before you know um, unless you are i would say at least 30 years old you, you every time you watch barca they've been winning. And, you know, they've been the best team in the world. And a lot of the, the listeners, I know that they've come because Barca was winning. But newsflash, Barca has not always been a winning team. When we are not winning, it is hard because it's like I just I just Amsterdam, for example, you know, that they they go through cycles. And then, you know, like a couple of years back with the, the league, the young, Sieg, et cetera, is blossomed. But I think Barca need to go back to basics, needs to try Masia. Have make sure that the players that have been signed for the most money and are still at a decent age and can, you know, can make an impact on the pitch, those are trusted. And the road ahead is going to hurt. I think that whoever doesn't want to be on for the right you know, more than welcome to step off right now and go support whatever team they decide, maybe Manchester City, maybe Bayern Munich because they're good now. Um, and that's it. You know, I think that being a culé is not about winning being is about supporting a feeling about supporting a club and we are fortunate that the club from time to time wins and lately in the last 30 years it's been really often and lately in the last 30 years we've played very very well um, but unless you're prepared to endure the bad times you don't deserve the good ones so if anyone wants to get off the bus now feel free it's
1: interesting too that some of the criticism that goes to the board, you say it's just the board, well, Bartomé doesn't make every decision, but he certainly is the top man, so he's the name to be blamed. But there has to be even a, a greater clear out, because as I said, that Abidal and Roman Planas, probably by the time you're even hearing this, are, are out as the sporting directors. And since uh, Zubi who even the end of his time didn't necessarily end in glory that job has been completely bitten. You have Robert Fernandez from the summer of 2015 to 2018. And you mentioned those names earlier. I mean, geez, man, some of the ones that he, that some of those names that he signed, so many of the names he signed. And then Javier Bordas was only in a sporting director position for a year from 2014 to 15. And then Pep Segura, head of the academy, Barca B from 2015 to 17. And then a general manager from 2017 to 2019. And I can't think of, I mean, you grasping at straws by all those names that I just said. You go, oh, but they did, and then you say one or two things, and then the comeback is, well, what about eight through ten of the other things that they did? And it has been snake bitten, and it's hard because you don't know who's actually pulling the strings, you don't know who's making decisions, you don't know who's getting final say. Uh, even this, the Barça B deal that was just done, Gustavo Mai for three million plus variables that could raise to I think five million, and you go, well, of that's five million that should have been reinvested somewhere else or in some other player that just makes more sense but the hope is that oh we spent five million for future uh, the future ability to hopefully sell shirts of a brazilian superstar and it just doesn't make sense it just move after move after move when they happen all of all, so many different fans go and i know we always bring up douglas but he is one of 50 moves 40 moves in the last six to seven to eight years where you scratch your head and go we it just seems like those moves are in bad faith even who's coming into the club in the next few weeks other than the youngsters we kept talking about? It's, it's Pjanic from Juventus. And you want to talk about problems. Well, yeah, he's a really, really good player, but he doesn't solve any of Barcelona's problems. And that's the other big thing about speaking of transfers. And we're going to talk later, I promise, about the Messi thing. So Roman, James, they had questions about Messi staying or leaving or the whole Messi situation. I think you're right, Frances. It's good to dedicate almost a whole show to that. Because you look at Antoine Griezmann, we had whole shows. I looked back at this, Francis. We had whole shows about is Antoine Griezmann, would he be a good fit at Barcelona? And we knew then it just, he's a secondary striker, a position that doesn't exist. Whether Barcelona are playing defensively like Onesto Valverde, and we said, oh, he'll fit under Onesto Valverde because he does have that defensive approach from Diego Simeone's time. And that's basically all he's done is that defensive job that we know that he does, that he works hard. And that's the only thing I can say about Antoine Griezmann's first year in FC Barcelona. Because when you talk about Coutinho, Griezmann, you're mentioning players that play in a similar position to Lionel Messi. And so it just was never going to work from the start. It doesn't make sense. Those moves don't make sense. And so why are you spending so, so much money? At least Usmani Dembele, who hasn't been able to stay healthy. The one thing I always say about him is at least he plays the position of need. At least he mm-hmm. was a player that is good on the left wing. So that made sense. And other than that, There haven't been many moves that have just made sense. Even Pianik, you have Busquets. And I guess he even in phasing out Busquets, you have De Young, You have players that can play in those positions. And who knows if Rakitic and Vidal are staying or leaving. So you have players that fit certain profiles and they did not replace the profiles that were so necessary to be replaced. And that is, I think, what is most puzzling, what is most unassuming. And even the players that they didn't bring in that made sense, like a Junior Firpo. We talked about it, that Ferlin Mendy was probably the best option. And then Real Madrid heard Barcelona were sniffing around, and they spent big money to bring in Ferland Mendy. But he was the left back on the market when Junior Firpo was brought in last summer. That made sense. Instead, Junior Firpo was considered to be the second best option. And he was. He was a talented player that came to Barcelona and regressed. Same thing with Frankie De Jong. You had mentioned that that Ajax were in the Champions League semifinals. That was last year. That was just last season, the 2018-2019 season, which is incredible because it feels like nine lifetimes ago. But Frankie de Jong, from what we saw at Ajax last year in the Champions League semifinal until today, he's regressed, which is crazy to say, but it's the way that Barca are playing. So I, I know that you and I have not really come up with many answers here. The questions that people are asking us are, what can we do? And I think it sounds terrible that I've said, well, there's not much that can be done in a few weeks. But Frances, with a point, I think I want to end this show with is saying that I do have great hope, not only in the youth, but this board has continued to make bad mistakes, but their time is coming to an end soon. And it's not a matter of, as you said, supporting a new board or supporting certain players or supporting getting certain players out of the club but that Barca are going to be Barca regardless of the players at the club, regardless of the Kool who are supporting it, this club will always exist. And I have great hope that some of the moves that have been made over the course of even the last year will bear fruit. That Pedri is considered one of the biggest, and it's not about creating a new savior, it's not about picking the next Messi, it's not putting all of our expectations and weight on 17-year-old Fati or 21-year-old Pooj or 17-year-old Pedri or 21 or 22, however old he is, It's not about putting all of our faith in those young players, but understanding and almost taking a playbook out of Bayern Munich's playbook that they got rid of Robin and Ribery and Lahm. And when the new generation came in, it wasn't about putting their expectations on one player. It was about saying, hey, we play a 4-2-3-1. We press We are ruthless, we are mentally tough, and that is what we will win. You are buying into Bayern Munich. You are not coming as you. You have to buy into this program and this system. Regardless of who the managers and the board are, regardless of who the players are, this is what Bayern Munich is. And so Barcelona really does. And PK said, this is where I'll end with PK saying that we have to reflect internally and decide what's best for the club, which is the most important thing. This is unacceptable from a club like Barcelona, and that's true. Francesc, you had the point of this podcast. Barcelona had to look at itself in the mirror, all the fans, players, but mainly the players, the board, and there's no manager, he has to look at himself next time. Whatever new manager comes in and says, this is Barcelona, and regardless of what the board says, regardless of what the players say, what does Barcelona need? And a manager, to answer that manager question, the manager that is brave enough to say, this is what Barcelona is, and this is what Barcelona needs, I'm not talking waxing poetic about Cruyff, waxing poetic about Catalan identity, but any of that, just saying, what is Barcelona the culmination of what FC Barcelona, the club is. I, if I'm true to that, then Barcelona can succeed and walk into the next chapter of its history on the front foot. That is what the club needs to do. That is the reflection, regardless of players, manager, board, regardless of the changes that are coming. If Barcelona can look and say, we are, this is what we are, mesquite un club, it's time to say mesquite un club again, then Barcelona can begin the new era on a positive note.
2: For sure. And I think that for us to be able to do that, we need to accept that's everyone involved that the, the most successful cycle in our history is over we must rebuild it will take time it may take years and i know that the rebuilding process is not going to start for sure until bartumeo is gone and if he doesn't want to bring the election any closer than march then the next rebuilding process will start in march and we're going to have eight ten months of misery until that comes and i think that for him not to resign immediately is selfish um i don't buy the oh but it's a pandemic etc um and it will affect next season i don't buy it i think that next season is already affected by the i don't want to be too harsh but the inability to 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 make things better uh, over the last four years they're not going to change everything right now i mean they would try but i think that the 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 whole new era is flawed if Artumeo is is leading it um the legacy of our best players cannot be tainted any longer if they need to be moved out they, they just have to be moved out uh whatever way and i know it won't be easy but whatever whatever way the new president or, or Bartomeu if he you know decides to you know hold on to his chair with the strength that he seems to be doing um they need to they need to shift these guys out anything that to be honest out of out of uh, self-critique and out of love for their own legacy i think a lot of, some of those players if not a lot of those players should walk out like pique suggested um, I, as I said at the very beginning, Barca are no longer a first team in Europe, a first division team in Europe. Um, Messi has been hiding the, the flaws for far too long and he cannot be really left alone to be doing that any longer. It is the end of a cycle. It's time to pick up the pieces. It's time to move forward and it's time to put selfish self-interest to one side and understand that Barca will be great again, but it will only be great if those who actually understand football lead the way at financial, infrastructural, and certainly sporting level.
1: Yeah, Frances, you mentioned this show that when we started, one of our very first weeks, I said this on the Patreon Quick Take Match Review, that one of our very first weeks doing this show was Luis Enrique announcing he was leaving the club. And I think our second show ever was is Ernesto Valverde, if he's the guy, because that's when the boomer started. Yeah. Was he going to be, in, yeah, right? And then, I mean, yep. w- what is it, was our fifth or, it was our fourth or fifth show when it was, okay, Neymar's leaving, what are Barcelona gonna do? That is where we started this podcast, right? And it's interesting to me that this whole narrative, this does feel like its own little mini error, I think, for us, because of the way that you and I, and you had Barca blog for all those years, but, and followed the club, but I mean, we have gone from putting some work into the club through the website, to putting so much time and effort into the club and into thinking about the club every single day. The one little sliver of hope that I do have is that moving forward, a new chapter, a new era, whether it takes three weeks or six months or eight to ten months, that new era, when it begins and when it's going to mean that Ricky Pooch is going to make mistakes in the midfield, he's going to miss... He's gonna not track runners, just like we saw against Bayern Munich. He's gonna make those mistakes that these established veterans made against Bayern Munich that have been making all season long. And the young players are going to make mistakes, but as it always is the case, Frances, like for the podcast and not having a new era, but it almost feels like that. I almost feel like for you and I, that it's, it's this time where I hope Kules can, be, Kules can be regenerated and that whenever the board is replaced and whenever it may not even be this manager, but I think whenever there's stability at the club once again, and when radical changes are made, I think there can be hope found in each of those changes. And I hope that you, the listeners, stick with us there because we have enjoyed our first three years and we've had some up times and we have had a bunch of downtimes. But Barca, in all this time, has only won two La Ligas in your, you and I doing these podcasts. So I'm excited for the future. And as long as it takes, Frances, I'm excited to be in these listeners' ears. And so we want to thank them. As sad as it may be, I am so thankful of the community that we've been able to build here.
2: hundred percent. hundred percent. You said it perfectly. I think that, and we never really share stats, but the last show that we recorded was our most popular show ever, um, listened to by thousands of listeners, um, in, you know, the different platforms. And, um, it just has to continue. And, you know, to be honest, if it doesn't continue, it can only be two things. First, that we are rubbish at our jobs, uh, which probably is the case, or that, you know, we've got some of those um, couleurs that, you know, I just call fair weather culets that only turn up when we're winning and uh, cannot endure the hard times. I think that is going to be very telling as to how many people continue to continue to endure the hard times that obviously have already started and will continue for a little while until Bartomeo goes at least.
1: Yeah, it's a tough though pill for me, to Swallow, because my resume says I'm supposed to be good at these things. But uh, if there's the critiques in the suggestion (laughs) box...
2: I don't have a resume, so I'm I'm all right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if you want to leave a suggestion for the podcast, I'll make sure I give you the wrong email or I'll just send you to frances.tomas at (laughs) gmail.com. And then you can figure it out there. So, all right. Well, I I think that wraps it up. I'm glad we could leave this on a good note with some laughs. So thanks so much for the listeners for tuning in again. You can tap in your app, Check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group, thanks so much for them as well, just almost being therapeutic to each other, helping each other out, and so as negative as this result was, so very little negativity I saw. And as much as Twitter can be a cesspool, our Facebook group I was really happy to see. uh, A lot of support and just questioning and wondering what needed to be done. So thank everybody there in the tbpod.link backslash group, deeper dives and discussions. And Patreon, I was able to make a quick take match review just for them about my feelings it was basically me crying for about 14 minutes uh, for the quick take match review, but that's what we have. That's also how you can support, financially support the show at tbpod.link backslash patreon. So thanks so much to all of them as well. We're also on YouTube, as you've known. We had a lot of growth there as well, the Barcelona podcast. So as much as We're gonna be talking about more of the negative things and trying to figure out board and players and the big picture things here. Francesca and I are gonna talk through those on the YouTube channel. I'm gonna, I think for these next few weeks, just gonna go back into looking at some of the nuance and history and trying to figure out where have Barcelona been in the past that looks like where we are today and try to find some parallels and try to find some answers there. So that's the plan for the next few weeks for the YouTube channel as well until the new season starts. So you can check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And as always, we want to thank you so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, BetOnline. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Dory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BlueWire to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BlueWire. Bet online, your online wagering experts.